G'day and welcome to GradChat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to introduce you to Ashley Williams, who is doing a PhD in Rehabilitation Science under the supervision of Dr. Catherine Donnelly and Dr. Heidi Cram. Welcome to Grad Chat, Ashley. Hello, everybody. Ashley's just hightailed it here on her push bike. Oh, I don't think you call them push bikes here in Australia, do you? Oh, where are we? Canada. <laughs> See, I'm totally confused about where I am. What do you call them here? Just bicycles, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Pedal okay. bike, I guess. Pedal brake, yeah. yeah. We just call them push bikes, so... Uh, you can get the ones with the little motors on them now, I guess. Yeah, but that's not a push bike. No. Someone else is doing the Someone work for you. Someone else is doing the work, yeah. Yeah. This, this one, you were doing it all yourself, so you're good there. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you for pedaling hard to get here. Now, rehabilitation science covers a lot of different areas and actually gets students from all sorts of backgrounds. What is your background and why did you want to come back to school to do a PhD? Yeah, so I did my undergrad at Memorial University in St. John's. Right. Worked for a few years at the YMCA and then decided I wanted to to sort of focus my work a little more and decided to come back and do a master's in occupational therapy here at Queens. Okay, right. So then I worked in primary care for a few years. And my brother, who who was an Air Force member, decided he was going to leave the military. So that kind of sparked an interest in the transition out of the military for me. Right. I'd also been doing some research assistant work with Dr. Heidi Cram around military families. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, there, so there was already a bit of an interest there. And also having worked in primary care, I was kind of interested in the intersection of those two topics, so military to civilian transition and right. primary health care. Right. So that's sort of what brought me back. That's great because I, I know there's in the rehabilitation science program, there's students from like yourself in OT or, or, or even PT, others who like you have also worked with different specific groups. So we just had a tool, of course, who's just graduated, well done, a tool, who was working with um, looking at children who were both blind and deaf and how they can be brought back in to be part of the community um, so they're not just left out on the side. So rehab science really covers a lot of different areas. But yours, because your research topic is access to primary health care during the military to civil, civil civilian transition, which is basically what you just told me. But this is very topical right now for veterans ac- across the world. So before we get into what you're going to talk about with sort of federal versus provincial handling of veterans, in your opinion, is Canada doing a better job of looking after them post-service compared to other countries? Because it's not an easy thing to do. Mm, yeah, no, that's that's true. I don't know about um, better or worse. One one of the things that makes that question difficult to answer is that there really is no clear definition on what military to civilian transition is. Okay, so, so there's no be a common. First thing. Yeah, mm. there's no common understanding from which to sort of form a basis on. There's also really no formal framework. Or right. theory. Right. There are some, but again, no commonly accepted one. 
So that makes it difficult as well. One of the nice things, though, is that the Canadian Institute for Military and uh, Veteran Health Research, or SIMBER, here at Queen's, right. they bring together researchers from many different countries, and they don't focus just on military to civilian research. There's a whole bunch of things that they focus on. Right. Or That's one institute that helps bring together researchers from many different countries to focus right. on these issues and come to a common understanding and how can we help veterans in different countries who have different different needs. systems and different systems yeah. that that would be fascinating because like you said everyone is very very different from i imagine from australia new zealand the uk here us some of the other countries around the world i'm sure it would be fascinating to see what they do how about our, our neighbors south of the border i mean you hear a lot in, in various programs, just even normal, normal TV, about their veterans not getting a, a good transition or enough mm. help. Do you know much about that? I mean, I know it's hard to talk about something you're not actually researching, but I'm sure you've heard a lot with the, the work you've done already. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I've noticed specifically about military to civilian transition is in Canada, we tend to conceptualize that as leaving the military Right. So your your military career is, is, has come to an end. Right. And you're joining the civilian workforce or the civilian culture. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., uh, at least from what I've read about, it tends to get conceptualized as returning from an area of conflict or disaster. Okay. So it's transition back from uh, a tour of duty. Okay. So it's not when they've and I'm probably putting you on the spot here. So coming back from a tour of duty, because you hear about the you know post-traumatic stress that a lot of them get, and that's enough to eventually, this they've come back, but then they end up being having to go out of the military. So that's a little bit different too, isn't it? It's a bit of a fine line of where they are in that transition. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing in the US is that their, their military service works a little differently than mm-hmm. ours. And there's also some differences with regard to how the health systems work. So in Canada, military members access the Canadian Forces Health Services, okay. which is a federally run health system that's separate from the systems that civilians use in provinces. Okay. And then when, when veterans leave service in Canada, they, they have to access the provincial health services that which is the rest of different. us do. Right. In the U.S., uh, there's a little bit of a difference. And again, don't quote me because I'm, I may have this wrong but (laughs) from what I understand the veterans affairs in the US they do provide some primary health services so I think the health transition looks different right in the two countries I guess it's very hard to to compare yeah of which one actually works so I guess that comes to the question though before we actually talk about what you're how you're conducting your research is and you kind of alluded a little bit to it anyways so why is this an important topic to investigate for Canada so forget the rest of the rest of the world what about why is it important for Canada for you to be doing this research So in Canada right now, we really don't have a research base. The experience of transitioning from the Canadian Forces Health Services to Provincial Health Services. Right. It's been touched on in different research projects, but it's never been the main focus of a project. And there's an indication that this may be a problematic transition. Mm -hmm. So again, because the Canadian Forces Health Services is is quite different from provincial health services. So you're moving from one health service to another and they're quite different from each other. Right. And the other thing as well about 
military to civilian transition is that about a quarter to a third of military members already report a difficult transition, regardless of why they're leaving the military, whether it's for health reasons or a voluntary release. Right. So we already know that there's potential for it to be a difficult transition Mm -hmm. and that health service transition can be an added component to that difficulty. Right. But we don't really know a whole lot about it. So that's sort of the, the piece that I want to get some clarity on. So when you're looking at the differences or that transition, okay, so when they're part of the military on this federal, the federal system, so I guess it doesn't matter what province they're in, it's, it's, it's one federal, so they know exactly what they're getting, etc. And I guess being in the military, a lot of that gets paid for, yes, so they don't have to have private health cover. They do have extended health benefits, like so they like can we, opt. They can opt for extended. Yeah. So, and I think that uh, that would extend to their families as well. Okay. So the way that it works in the one of the reasons they're so different, or a few of the reasons they're different, is when you are posted as a military member, all of your health care is taken care of on that base. Okay. So when you move to a new base, you don't have to look for a new doctor. Right. It's always there. It's always there, and it's all all the services you need are in one place. Right. Uh, you know, unless you need something that they mm-hmm. can't offer through the military directly. So there's physicians on the base. There's They have physiotherapists, social workers. Right. Is so, that just for the military person or is that for their family too? Not for the not family. For family. That's actually one of the big differences mm-hmm. between the U.S. And, the, and Canada. Right. In the U.S., the families have access to a health system that's run by the military. In Canada... Only the Canadian Forces member can access the Canadian Forces Health Services. Okay. Unless you're in a uh, isolated posting, which is there are very few of those. Right. Okay. So for the most part, the families don't get to access the Canadian Forces Health Services. The other piece that's that's different. So I guess number one is that there's a lot of continuity that you don't necessarily have in the provinces because with every move, you the healthcare you need is there. You don't need to do anything. Right. The other piece is in terms of navigation, there's really very little navigation required part of the military member to access services. Right. You just kind of, you either show up at sick parade, they call it. <laughs> I uh, love it. Or your, uh, an appointment's made for you if you need one and they tell you. Right when you have to be there and where you have to go. Uh, whereas as, as a civilian, particularly in the context of moves, you know, you have to find out, you have to find all that stuff yourself. And and I guess at the moment too, in Canada, there's a shortage of GPs and things in a lot of localities. So it's yeah. hard enough finding it for your family, let alone for yourself as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess the third piece would be that the focus of the Canadian Forces Health Services is really on maintaining the operational or smooth operation of the military itself. Right. Whereas, you know, if you think about a community primary care clinic, they're interested in family health and community health. So there's a bit of a different focus there. Right. And that, I, I don't want to say that it does impact it because, this, again, this is something that we don't know. But I wonder if that impacts the efficiency of the service itself. Right. Okay. So how quickly you might get access to a particular health service that you need if you're in the military versus if you're a civilian, civilian. given the different focuses of the 
systems. I think you touched on it before, like, you know, the transition itself moving out is a difficult one from being in the military where, like you said, everything's done for you. It's kind of like clockwork. You're on, you're off, da-da-da-da, go rest, go see this person, etc., etc. Where When you come out, then you have to virtually defend for yourself or fend for yourself and, and figure out all of this yourself. And even though you you might have a family who's always had to do this anyway for themselves, for the actual person, it's a little tricky. I would imagine one of the, the biggest things and with the, the primary health care is the mental attitude that a lot of these um, our veterans are going through because it, even if they're healthy... It's the mind, you know, it's like when people sort of first retire, even in civilian life, it's kind of, now what do I do? Mm. I'm so used to be able to, you know, get up in the morning and know I'm going to be doing this, this and this, whereas now I don't have that. Yep. So as part of your work, are you looking with the primary health care? I mean, are you looking at individual cases or are you looking at in general? Because if you're looking at individual cases, I'm looking at, to me, I'd be saying, well, how many coming with this issue of a mental trying to get themselves into society? And it's a mental approach as opposed to I've hurt my leg. So, so is there, are you seeing differences or is that part of it or, or is th- it just generally, generally looking? I think it's all part of the transition and, and so it's all kind of part of what I'm interested mm-hmm. in knowing about. So in, in my particular study, there's sort of two pieces. So I'm interested in knowing about what our veterans' experiences transitioning from Canadian Forces Health Services to Provincial Health Services in the context of a military to civilian transition. Okay. So when I say experience, that could really encompass all of those things, sort of with a focus on that health transition or health services transition. And then the second piece is how our provincial interdisciplinary primary care teams providing service to veterans. Do they understand their their requirements? Do they understand the needs? Mm -hmm. Do the veterans feel that their needs are understood? Is there a sense that there's an understanding of the complexity of the transition process? Right. Because one of the things that separates military to civilian transition from other types of transition or other types of career transition like retirement is when you enter the military there's a sort of distinctive culture associated with that one of the things that makes the military operate is the sense of camaraderie between members and right and sort of the the chain of command and the trusting in one another and working as a team to accomplish a common goal right that you don't see to the same degree in the civilian world. Mm -hmm. So when military members leave that culture and they enter into a civilian one, particularly people who've been in the military since high school, since high school, Mm And have and have done their entire career in the military. That can be a pretty big change, right? So you know everybody's transition is going to be different, and some people that will be more intense, and other people it'll be less intense. So I think that's one of the issues that I'm interested in is is there an appreciation for that sort of degree of complexity with that with that specific transition, and how are how are we addressing that in the context of primary care, and in particular team based primary care. Which I would imagine would be huge. The other part I would see there, what happens with those veterans who are leaving the forces now for health reasons? Mm. And what happens to their care once they've left in civilian life? I mean, how is that transition to? Because you could have those that are just perfectly, well, we think, Mm -hmm. are all okay. But then 
the ones that are leaving because they need to, whether it's PTSD and, and anything else, that um, mm -hmm. how does their care transition from being cared after in the, in the military or federally to the provincial? Yeah, so as I understand it, when so when you leave service, you have a release date. Okay. So that's the date at which that's your last day of service and the next day you're... Civilian. You're no longer an active member. Right. You're a veteran. Once that date passes, you no longer have access to the Canadian Forces Health System right. or services. So the providers that you have in that system, you no longer have access to. So it's kind of a hard cutoff. So so that at that point, you then need to get new healthcare providers. And there's some support to help with that. So I was going to say, because surely that would be really hard of just going, oh, sorry, no more. You're mm. on your own now. Yeah. And there must be some yeah. sort of transfer of records and things. And this is one of the things I want to get at is mm -hmm. what does this actually look like for veterans? Right. As I mentioned before, it's been touched on in other research that I've read, but nobody has actually looked at that specifically. Add one question there. Yeah, sure. So, so there's a transition from the federal to provincial, but will you be looking at as part of your research the differences to, to the provinces? I mean, how does one province handle this transition compared to another province? Mm. Because I mean, imagine that would be quite interesting to see who does it better and who should we be learning from? Right. That's a, that's a great question. The first part of my, my thesis is going to be a phenomenological study, which means that I want to know about veterans' experiences of that transition. Okay. So I'll be interviewing veterans themselves from across Canada. Okay, that's good. So there'll be some representation from hopefully all the provinces, depending great. on <laughs> yeah. how the recruitment goes. And then for the second part, I'm going to do a case study of an interdisciplinary primary care team and so I'm a bit limited. I wouldn't be able to do that across Canada. No. Mm -hmm. So that's, I'm going to do that here in Ontario. Okay. And we haven't started the recruitment yet, but ideally I'd like to recruit a family health team that has a sense of these issues and can comment on how they approach this issue, uh, so if that is present. <laughs> Would you do that in Kingston then? Because we've got RMC and the, and the base here too. So it kind of would make sense that we're here yeah. is is there something here that that can be used as a, a good example yes i'm i have a sort of a geographic breakdown of the areas right. that i'm going to look at okay so that includes the the southeast local health integration network and the champlain local health integration network okay. which are basically two health regions mm -hmm. in ontario of course they're looking at getting rid of the, those local health integration networks now but basically the regions that those two local health integration networks cover. Right, right. And the reason I chose those areas is because within about a third of all veterans live in Ontario. Okay. And uh, I, I don't remember exact numbers, but a fairly substantial number of those veterans live in so the, one good. of these two LINs. Mm -hmm. so, so that's why I chose those two areas. And you're looking at sort of like family sort of practices. So is these the ones where you just walk down the street and pop in? Or is it practices that are private practices and things? Or is it, so which which way, is it better to try and look at the ones that just walk in off the street and then they've got a, a sleuth of doctors for different reasons? So I think you're referring to walk-in clinics. Yes. Right. So or is this different? So I'm interested in family health teams. Okay. Family health teams are essentially made up of a family physician or a group of family physicians. Right. And then there's also other, other healthcare providers that are part of that team. So, so they're not necessarily in the same building, uh, you, or they are? They can be. Right. I think the ones that 
that I've had experience with, everybody's in the same building, but I do know there are other family health teams okay. that have different locations. Those family health teams will have a physician or a group of physicians. They'll have registered nurses. Okay. They may have social workers. They may have pharmacists. They may have psychiatrists. They may have occupational therapists. Yes. So there's a group of people That's located all in the same location. Right. So then they can pass off depending on who they need to go and say. Yeah, there's, a, there's a greater degree of coordination and continuity. Uh, that's the goal. Which would be more like what they would have had as part of the military where everything is there. So they're all, like you said, passing off to depending on what they, their requirements are at the time. Yeah, okay. I think it, it, it's certainly probably more representative of what their their experience would be in the military than a family doctor practicing on their own. Right. So, And the other piece as well is within Canada, we're kind of moving towards team-based primary care which makes sense so that's why I wanted to focus on teams uh, is because we're kind of moving in that direction as a country is there or does this happen when our veterans are now transitioning to civilian life is there something that if if they've already got a pre-existing condition is there something to help them find their GP or anything because like I said we do have a shortage in a lot of places around Canada of GPs and so you'd hate to think here is someone who's being who's done their service for the country and then they can't continue the 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 medical requirements Mm -hmm. because they can't find a GP when they've Mm -hmm. left. Would there ever be something with part of that transition to find them or there's certain doctors and things that will take on vets when they Mm -hmm. first transition out, if they've got a pre-existing, because that's to me it's a more important one, Mm -hmm. that they need to keep keep that uh, health cover. Right, yeah, there's a more, there's a greater need. Greater need, To have access, Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a triennial survey, so a survey that, Veterans Affairs does every three years called the Life After Service Survey. Okay. And the da- the data that's come out of that indicates that people who release for medical reasons are actually more likely to have a family doctor when they leave. Okay. So for medical releases, there's usually a greater degree of support. Assistance too. Through the transition process so that being said though if you look at if you look at that data people are less likely to have a physician in the first couple of years after they leave in comparison to five years say right right so that's i'm kind of interested in that area that two-year lag yeah, yeah i'm kind of interested there? in the what happens immediately after right so there there is an indication that people with medical releases have a greater they're more likely to have a family physician than someone who doesn't. However, I mentioned earlier about anywhere from 25% to about a third of veterans indicate a difficult transition, mm-hmm. and they're not all medical releases. Right, right. So, so there's a, another group that we have to be careful with. Yeah, so I wonder I wonder what's going on there and mm-hmm. what does that health transition look like for them. So I'd like to get a mix of, for the first part of the study, I'd like to get a mix of experiences. So people who've had medical releases, people who've had, who released voluntarily, and, and then very varying degrees of or varying well there's those that have been in for 10 years as opposed yes. to those who've been in 30 years that's what i'm trying to say yeah <laughs> so that's that's a huge difference of exactly yeah so years of service mm-hmm. how does that impact that transition right so i want to try to get a range of experiences to see how do the how do they differ how are they the same 
Um, Are you allowed to ask in, in some of the stuff that you're doing, you know, how many deployments that they've had? Because I imagine that would have a, an impact too mm-hmm. on, on them. Yeah, so that's definitely one of the questions that I'll include in the interview. Yeah, so the deployments could, could have an impact and we'll be able to sort of look at what, what that looks like. The other interesting thing, just thinking about health issues, is one of the, probably the, the most, or not probably, the most common health issues that are reported by veterans in these life after service surveys are actually uh, pain, so chronic okay. pain. Right. I can't remember if it's back pain, but it's pain. Right. Arthritis. Okay. And there's actually a greater degree of, there's a higher prevalence of depression than people. PTSD. I would imagine that because yeah. it's a big it's a big jump from the strict known yeah. facts what you're going to have each day to suddenly yeah. you're on your own. Yeah. And they all exist in higher prevalences than you see in the general Canadian population. Okay. So there's okay. an indication that there there's they look different than the general population in terms of health. Will you also be looking at the difference between someone who is single and someone with a family? That's a good way to or do it. Or male yeah. versus female, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Those are all comparisons that we can make, yeah. So it would be interesting because veterans with families will know that this transition is that the health transition is difficult. Right. Especially families who have children with special needs or, or if the parents have spe- special health needs. Right. And I guess if they they move again after their last base, mm-hmm. so which they the family would have set up yeah. their health service. But if they move another town again, they're starting from scratch again. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's been some Canadian research on that topic as well. Okay. And then so for folks who are single, they might have a different experience. That being said, there's also some indication that those who have I, th- I can't remember the exact numbers, but those who have fewer years of service, I think it's like less than 10 years of service, uh, so they're younger and releasing for medical reasons, they may have a greater degree of health need right? than someone who, you know, had a 30-year career. They may have some, like, chronic pain or arthritis just from having a more physical right. job. But there's different needs there. Mm-hmm. So it's because they're at the end of their and... career versus someone who... Needs to get back and get another job. Yeah, or they may have a disability that right. they didn't have before they joined. So, Do you know if those that do leave the military with some sort of chronic in- injury, which w- could have an impact on their next job, is there some sort of training given to them? Because there's one thing about looking at just at the health, but also when you're leaving something where you've been in service to come out and suddenly find, okay, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Do they get the tr- some other extra like job career tra- training or is they just it's up to them, which could once again ex- exacerbate the depression and things? Because now, now what? Mm-hmm. So, do they get the training? Because it's it's all it all all links, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the medical release can be a really protracted process. It can take a okay. long time before from the point at which you're injured to the point at which you're officially released. Okay. And there are programs available through Canadian Armed Forces and Veterans Affairs for retraining, funding for retraining. Okay. Um, So I think one of the issues is that because they both have these programs, there can be some confusion around, you know, which one you should you should go Uh, with, or even knowledge that these things exist. But again, those who have medical release tend to have a little bit more support than those who 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 don't who don't release for medical reasons. So there are programs available, but it can be a pretty complex web right. that's hard to 
to kind of navigate on your own. So apart from how much follow-up do the services, defensive forces have with their veterans mm. from when they leave to check on them? Because you'd like to think that they're checking to make sure that they're okay. That's yeah, that's a good question. So veterans can veterans can uh, make a VAC account or a Veterans Affairs Canada account, okay. but not everybody is eligible for things like case management or some of the programs that Veterans Affairs has, like vocational rehabilitation. Okay. Not everybody's eligible for those programs. So that's one of the things I want to get at is, mm-hmm. you know, what was this experience like? for for you as a veteran right you know did you feel like you had that follow-up and not everybody who releases has vax vax services okay it's pretty so they're low. basically they're on their own it's pretty low mm-hmm. percentage yeah right. so of people who actually have vax services when they leave right yeah. so without that there's no real way the the force is tracking how their men and women have gone mm-hmm. yeah and there's you know mm. there are some services that they provide before the person leaves right but we don't really know what the experience looks like through the transition mm-hmm. you've got your work cut out for I you do. i think one of one of the nice things is about what you're doing is that you're going to be highlighting you know what is the experience like of our men and women who have served the country and mm-hmm. um, i think is really really important i'm sure everyone would be really behind what you're trying to do here to find out okay are we doing a good job at looking after them after mm-hmm. and i know at some stage depending on when they they leave at some stage they've got to start looking after themselves but they that transition is really really important in anything even from high school to university yeah I mean that's a trans a huge transition for our kids yeah and we we spend a lot of time and effort to help with that transition Mm -hmm. we should absolutely be doing the same for our men and women in the services yeah and then I had some exposure to military family health research through research assistantships with Dr. Cram but the other thing too I think that's important to to always remember as the sort of the foundational piece is Canadian forces members sacrifice a lot in service of the country yeah and so do their families yes and so it's important not only is it important but I think we have an obligation to make sure that the transition out of their military service is as smooth yeah. as it can possibly be. I would totally and that agree. They, you know, they have a successful transition, whatever, yes. whatever that means for yes, them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So before we wrap up, is there anything else that you have found or wish to, to say about this, this topic? Because it is, like I said, it is topical right now. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing I'd point out is sometimes I think there tends to be a depiction of veterans as you know having like you hear about PTSD a lot in the military and so I think sometimes the emphasis on that can kind of create a a narrative of veterans as you know having all these issues Mm -hmm. they're all broken Mm -hmm. and so and I'm not sure that that's necessarily an accurate depiction (laughs) of uh, (laughs) so as I mentioned earlier you know about 25 percent to a third of veterans have difficulty during the military civilian transition but that means that 70 to 75 percent are doing all right do well mm-hmm. so i think it's important to point out that you know there's a lot of resilience there yes but it's important to to make sure that for the people who do have difficulty during this time that we do everything we can to make sure that the folks who are having some difficulty have the, have as much support as we can, they can get as we can provide and the most effective support that we can provide right 
Mm-hmm. That makes total sense, yeah, because we can always certainly take it out of context, can't we? Very mm. easy. That's why mm-hmm. sometimes the numbers are good because, yeah. like you said, 25 are having diff- potential difficulties, but that meant 75 is okay. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. doing, they're doing all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, And those are self-reported numbers. Right. So that's the veterans themselves right. reporting though, that, uh, that is, they're doing okay. Which is important. It's coming from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank, well, thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, thank you. I think you've hit it on the nail with this research, and I wish you the best of luck with it. I'm sure your, you know, the information that you gather is going to be fascinating. Hopefully, it's more positive than thinking we're not doing enough at all. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, there's some positives in there, but also something that you can put forward to say, okay, this is what we need to do mm-hmm. moving forward. Absolutely, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be able to have some actionable steps that we can take great fantastic ashley thank you very much for coming on the show i really do appreciate you talking about this because like i said it is very topical and we do have what's the word i'm looking for like you said an obligation to look after our servicemen and women both while they're there and in service and out so thank you for sharing that with us and best of luck with it thank you i know you've got much. a fair fair way to go <laughs> but it'll fly through like this oh, like I'm this sure. interview it's flown through yes yes <laughs> thank you so much for having me no worries at all so that's it everyone another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end don't forget you can download this this show from either itunes google Podcasts, or stitcher just type in a grad chat until next week this is cj the dj signing off with a big hooray This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by Queen's University's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.